The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. This morning's scripture reading comes from 1st Book of Kings, chapter 21, verses 17 to 29. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, Go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick your own blood. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? He answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up and will cut off from Ahab every male bond or free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah. For the anger to which you have provoked me and because you have made Israel to sin. And of a Jezebel, the Lord also said, the dog shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dog shall eat. And anyone of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel his wife incited. He acted very abominably in going after idols, as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the people of Israel. And when Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring disaster in his days, but in his son's days I will bring the disaster upon his house. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, you have spoken to us through your son. Let your written word now be spoken and heard by each of us. Give us ears to hear and hearts to understand that we may not refuse your calling or ignore your voice. May we all be taught by you through your powerful word. Bring every thought captive to obeying Christ. In the glory of your holy name, amen. Thank you for reading the text that we're going to be worshiping over this morning. Let's join together and pray one more time for the Lord's help. So, Father, if worship is going to continue in this moment, if we're going to worship over this text, I am very aware of our need. I need to be able to trust that your word is going to do what you have proposed it to do, and it's not going to come back to you void. And your people need to be able to engage with the mind and engage with the heart to sing over this text, even though the music behind us has stopped. So, Lord, we need you. Come and meet us and glorify your name. For the great renown of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. 
While we were in Spain, the main people group that we were working with were Moroccans. Now, Moroccans, Morocco's in that kind of 1040 window of nations that really have just a great need. They're one of the most unreached people groups in the world. Only 0.1% of Moroccans believe. So that means there's not enough Moroccans in their culture to reach their culture. So someone has to cross over and go there and learn a language and incarnate the gospel just so that way churches can be planted and Moroccan believers can be raised up and they can spread and, and kind of reach their people. Well, we joined a team in Spain that had members that had been in Morocco for seven years. And then one day they were just expelled the king of Morocco decided no more Christian missionaries. And so any known missionary was just sent out. Just imagine how discouraging that would be. The, the, you, you followed God's call. You're making relationships. You're putting down gospel roots. And then just one day on maybe a whim, the king decides to abuse his power and it's all gone. And it just seems like the kingdoms of this world can just topple God's kingdoms whenever, whenever the king or the queen or those in power want. Well, Elijah felt that kind of discouragement in his ministry. But what he didn't know and what we often don't know is what God is about to do. God was about to do a thing with Elijah, and I'm praying that God's about to do a thing in Morocco. God was about to show Elijah that even powers in rebellion to his holy will are reigned in according to God's sovereign purposes. God's going to show that in three ways in this, this text. There's, there's three distinct people in this story, three characters in this text, three actors on this stage, and they each play a decisive role. God, Ahab, and Elijah. So seeing God speaks, but being emboldened, Elijah obeys, and being humbled, Ahab repents. So let's just consider how seeing God speaks Sometimes we have trouble remembering how aware God is with the things that happen in the world. This text is a strong reminder for just how involved God is. He sees and he acts. And there are six things that I see in the text that God sees. Let's look at them. God sees Elijah. God's eyes were on Elijah. Look at verse 17. It says, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. When God wanted to speak to Elijah, he didn't have to flip through his, his address book or he had to update it to know where's Elijah at. I've got a word for him. He knew where Elijah was and the word went straight to Elijah. He had seen Elijah at his worst and never left him, got him through it, and then was preparing to send Elijah to the next part. So he, he didn't have to figure out where Elijah was. He knew where Elijah was. God sees you. 
He doesn't lose track of you. When you're downcast and depressed, just like we saw last week, he sees you. When you're in transit or you're hiding, he knows where you're at. He doesn't lose you in a crowd or when you're hiding in a cave. Also, he sees what you're about to do. And by that I mean he sees what he's about to do through you. God's eyes were also on Ahab. Look at verse 18. God says, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth. God knows where those who are in power reside. He knows the shadowy corners where they make their deals. There is no blanket of authority that they can hide behind. Like, oh, now I'm in power. God can't see me. No. He sees the poor, he sees the prophet, and he sees those in power with the same clarity. He knows exactly what's going on. There is no hiding from the eyes of God in the palaces of power, nor in the fields of sin. God's eyes were on Ahab's actions. Look at verse 18, continue reading. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. Now, the part we didn't read is how he took possession. He had Naboth killed just because he wanted this field. He was sad, and he thought, this field would make me happy. And so he conspires with his wife to have Naboth killed, and then he takes possession of this field. And then we pick up in verse 20. Ahab said to Elijah, have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do what's evil in the sight of the Lord. Sometimes we might wonder what's taking place in these palaces and in these parliaments and in these white houses of power. Well, God knows. God knows the policies for good and the policies for evil that are done. And he sees when those who have no voice are silenced behind the walls of the abuse of authority. God's eyes were also on Ahab's family life. Look at verse 25. There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel his wife incited. God doesn't just see politicians when they politic behind doors. He follows them home. And he sees their home life. He sees how they interact as a family. And they can't hide behind hypocrisy at home. And they can't hide in the comfort of their own living room. God's eyes were on their family life as well. God's eyes were on Ahab's worship. Look at verse 26. He acted very abominably in going after idols. We all worship something, even politicians. And God follows the root of sin from God's throne to, I mean, sorry, from, from Ahab's throne to Ahab's actions to Ahab's home and now to Ahab's heart. He sees all that Ahab is. And when he's going to judge, he's going to cut right through the heart because he knows exactly what's going on in Ahab's heart. And that's why God's eyes 
were on Ahab's repentance. Look at verse 27. And when Ahab heard those words, the words of judgment that we heard read just a minute ago in verses 21 through 24, he tore his clothes and he put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Have you, have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? So God sees the slightest change of heart in the most wicked of rulers. He relents of his judgment. He postpones the judgment for another generation. So God saw Ahab's rebellion, the abuse of power that he used for sin, and he would not stay silent, and he will not stay silent forever. As he watches, he weighs, and there is no hiding from the God who sees. All the powers that be will bow their knees before the God who sees. And that's why emboldened Elijah obeys. Now this is is just a different Elijah than we saw last week. Last week he was exhausted, he was depressed, he was feeling utterly alone. And God met him and asked him in between the text from last week and this text, he asked him, what are, you, what are you doing here? I have work for you to do. Consistently, God has showed Elijah, he, you're not alone. You don't have to go anywhere alone. This ministry that you're doing is my ministry. I'm doing it through you. Never alone, Elijah. I have work for you to do. So when he tells him to go down in verse 18, Elijah obeys because he knows that he's not going to be going down alone. And there are reasons for Elijah to have some trepidation about going down to meet Ahab. I mean, Ahab and Jezebel, they cut off the prophets in chapter 18. They threatened to kill him in chapter 19. They labeled him as the troubler of Israel in chapter 18. And then Ahab greets him in chapter, or this chapter, verse 20, as my enemy. That's the way you want to be greeted, right? My enemy. Elijah had obeyed God, and still he made enemies. He was in God's presence, God's will, and still mislabeled, misunderstood, and abused. There are just some people that are not interested in being your friend. You can be faithful, you can be Christ-like, you can be spirit-led, and still be rejected. They'll still make you out to be their enemy. So don't trade your faithfulness to God's word for their approval because you may never have it. You may worry that if I share the gospel with them, they'll reject me. Well, maybe. But you know who's never going to reject you? The God of Jesus Christ. Stay faithful to him. He's going to stay faithful to you. We love our likability and our relational safety far too much. We just need to let that go. We need just a bit more of the boldness of Elijah. Elijah was a man just like the rest of us. He needed encouragement when he was down in order to be bold. God had to meet him in his dejection and depression and show him, I'm for you, not against you. I have plans for you. I have work for you. Go and speak. 
You remember in Acts chapter 4, the early church, the disciples just got word that the authorities said, no more speaking or teaching in the name of Jesus. We're commanding you no more. Do you remember how they responded? They prayed. They gathered together and they prayed. Here's what they prayed. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak the word with all boldness. And then the Lord met them. Here's the response. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They knew they needed boldness, continued boldness. So they prayed to the Lord for boldness. Remember Paul, Paul, the great gospeling missionary apostle, he pleaded with others to pray that he would be bold. This is Ephesians chapter six. He says, pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now, sometimes we might picture boldness as being confrontational, and that's not exactly what I have in mind. What I have in mind is a, a type of broken boldness, the type of boldness that an oncologist needs to diagnose the treatment plan. If we don't do something, you're going to die. We've got to do something. Here's the plan. The type of boldness that the engineer needs to point out the danger in the design. If we do this design, it's going to hurt people. This is a better design. The type of boldness that a virologist needs to scrap a vaccine that has far too many side effects because the virologist knows this vaccine can help and not harm. I have in mind the type of boldness that causes us to love sacrificially, laying down our own opinions and our own self-sufficiency and all that we want in order to love someone. That's what I have in mind. There is a relational boldness that reaches out across the divide and meets with an enemy in order to share hope. A broken boldness says the only, that says the only truth that I have and I cling to is the gospel. And I want to give it to you because I love you. There's a, there's a Savior, Christ, who died to forgive the rebellion for all those who cry out for forgiveness. A Christ who offers the perfect obedience that God demands of us to get to heaven. He demands of us no sin. Christ on the cross did that. And perfect obedience. Jesus' life did that. So when we, when we trust in Christ, that record of obedience becomes our record of obedience. And God looks at you through Christ's righteousness and says, this child has no sin and has always obeyed. I love this child. So receive Jesus as the only treasure that will never disappoint you and will satisfy your soul forever. A bold posture can also be a broken posture. Did you realize that you already have boldness in Christ already? Now, Paul, earlier in Ephesians 3, he pointed this out, which is interesting because he's going to 
ask that this promise in chapter 3 is unlocked, which I think is the way that works. Ephesians 3, Paul wrote, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here it is, verse 12. In whom we have boldness. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Have you unwrapped that promise yet? Or do you kind of put it on a shelf and look at it? That's a, that's a sweet verse, like it, look how beautiful the wrapping is, but you never get it down, never use it. There was a very great detective in San Francisco named Adrian Monk. And Monk was broken because he could never solve the case that was the most important to him. His wife had been killed, and for 12 years, he just was crushed that he could never crack this case. His wife had given him a present for Christmas, put it under the tree, and he never opened it for 12 years because she died before Christmas. And so he would leave the Christmas present unwrapped as a way to honor her. What he didn't realize is that the key to the case was in that present. And the way that he should have honored her was opening the present, cracking the case. The way that you honor the Lord with the promise that you have boldness already is that you get the promise down off the shelf and you open it and you get it dirty and you figure out how to use it for people, with people. That's how you honor the Lord. We have the word of the gospel that changes the lives of those who would make themselves out to be our enemies. So boldly share it and see the change that God sees. Seeing God speaks, being emboldened, Elijah obeys, and being humbled, Ahab repents. Who in the world saw this coming, right? Ahab repents? That Ahab? The king of Israel, Ahab? The one that it says in 1 Kings 16, 30, Ahab, the son of Omri, who did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. The Ahab that it says in 1 Kings 21, 25, there was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab. The one who for almost 20 years, 22 years, dedicated being a king to inventing new ways to his, abuse his power and sin, that Ahab repented? That's a catastrophe. Tolkien was trying to find a word that would kind of encapsulate a sudden, unexpected inbreaking of good. So he, he coined the word catastrophe. Just like a catastrophe is this kind of sudden, unexpected inbreaking of bad. This is a repentance of catastrophic proportion. 
And Elijah may have been caught a little off guard because he had shared the word so much with Ahab and Ahab just, I don't want it, just reject it. And Elijah may not have realized that in between Elijah talking to Ahab, God's also sending other prophets to talk to Ahab. And those prophets may not realize that he repented either. Could you just imagine their disappointment walking away from yet another conversation with Ahab? He just doesn't get it. I just can't get past his heart. God does that when we're not looking. You do realize that, right? You may walk away from a conversation and just feel like you blew it. And then God's about to bring in Elijah and they're going to repent. When God wants to change a heart, there is no heart so black, no heart so hard, no heart so unreachable that God can't reach them. Don't give up. Don't give up. If it's God who wants to grant repentance that leads to life and the knowledge of the truth, it's God who holds the heart of the king in his hand like a stream of water and he just winds it wherever he wills. And if God can reach into the heart of a king, that means that God can reach into the hearts of our neighbors, our friends, our family, and even those who make themselves out to be our enemies. That's the beauty of the gospel is that he receives the repentance of even Ahab's. And we're all Ahab's this morning. Every single one of us. We all build our thrones and use others to build our kingdoms. And Jesus came to show us there is no joy in building our own kingdom, no matter whether we build it on approval or money or sex or safety, or things, we're always going to want one more field. And we're always going to use others to build our own little thrones and our own little kingdoms. And so Jesus wants to say this morning, I see you. I see your emptiness. The pursuit of your kingdom is going to be the death of you. I've died to forgive all who will walk away from trying to find satisfaction in this world and turn to treasure me. I will build a kingdom that will give you identity, community, and purpose, and it will never be toppled. And I want to do it through you. But, but don't, don't we need a an Elijah to do that? I mean, look, Elijah preached, kings repented. Jews are waiting for Elijah to come back. Every Passover, they put out another cup and they leave the door open, waiting for Elijah to come back. Well, Elijah's already come back. Do you remember? Jesus said the Elijah to come was John the Baptist. And just like Elijah, John confronted a king, he confronted Herod, and the abuse consumed John, and John was killed. Herod 
didn't repent. I don't think we need another Elijah. I think we need someone greater than Elijah. Elijah spoke truth to power, truth to those in power. Jesus the Christ broke broke truth into power. Jesus, God in flesh, he looked at the abuse of power as Pontius Pilate boasted that he had the power to crucify crucify him. And Jesus responded, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. He continued, my kingdom is not of this world. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus was crucified, and he died under corrupt power, so that way he could overthrow the power when he rose from the dead, and he was seated at the right hand of his father as king, not just over Israel, not just over the world, but king of the entire universe. So if we had another Elijah, that's too small a thing. It's too small a thing to change Nashville. Too small a thing to change the U.S. We're talking global change here. That's what we need Christ for. We need Jesus. And we need you as the body of Jesus, working in the power of the Spirit of Jesus, speaking truth to power. And God promises to use us Because we have the same mantle of righteousness by faith that Elijah had. And we have the same spirit of Elijah that was needed for Ahab's heart to be changed. Jesus went up and he sent his spirit down. And now the God who sees and speaks humbled those who abused their power through the word of bold, broken believers just like you and me. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, how we need something greater than Elijah. We desperately need to see Christ on display saving sinful people like us. We need to know that you see and you still speak in your word. It doesn't come back to you void. We need to be emboldened so that way we can obey. We need to turn from our sin because of the humble work that you do in us. And we need to trust that you will do that humble work in those who hear us. So Lord, come and continue to help your church be the type of church that reaches kings and neighbors and friends and family and even our enemies. In Jesus' name, amen.